want you to imagine with me for a moment, and just a moment, because it's pretty scary to think what life would be like without fire. You know, sometimes we say man discovered fire, but I don't think man really discovered fire. Fire, it commonly occurs in nature. Uh, Instead, man learned to harness fire. But what would life be without fire? Uh, We would have no light at night. We would have no heat. Although at this time of year, you don't really want the heat. uh, But we'd have no heat. Uh, We would have no way to to, uh, make hard the glazing on pottery. And one of the, the, probably the big thing, we would have no way to cook our food. We'd have no way to barbecue. Uh, life would be a pretty sad place without barbecue, wouldn't it? Right? Do you know that uh, probably the, the most common anal- analogy or metaphor for the presence of God, uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit is fire. It's the fire of God. Fire is associated with the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament to the New. And God wants to fill fill you with this fire. He wants you to feed this fire. He wants you to allow the fire of the Holy Spirit to lead you and to, to give you a way to live with power and conviction and mission and purpose. But we can have a choice as to how we're going to to treat this fire within us. The fire of the Holy Spirit is re- it represents in several ways through the Holy Spirit. First, it represents God's presence with his people. A second, it represents God's protection of his people. A third, you look in Isaiah chapter 4, it, among other places, it represents God's cleansing of his people. A fourth, it represents his judgment of his people. Then it represents, fifthly, his enablement of his people. And then it takes and represents God's gracious activity in the assembly of his people. The Holy Spirit binds us together. We say we're brothers and sisters in the Spirit. It happens through God's presence that he brings to live with each of us. But you think about it. There is no people of God, really, without the work of of the Holy Spirit. We can look in several references, but why I really started thinking about this uh, this week is uh, I determined that we would talk about a second negative command about what we could do with the Holy Spirit. It's found in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. It's a small verse, but it has great implication. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 reads like this, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Now, different versions say different things. Uh, For example, the TNIV, it says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. It has different different English translations, but what you need to understand is that Greek word means, literally, to extinguish a fire. To either put out a fire by water or to put it out by uh, taking away its air, dousing it with dirt. Uh, Whatever the case We are told explicitly as Christians to not quench the Spirit because the Spirit is the presence of God. We need the Spirit working on us even before we become Christians and certainly after we become Christians. We need the Spirit's leading and presence and work in our lives every day of our lives. 
Exodus 13, 21 says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire. Uh, through the, all those years of the Exodus, God led them. Uh, his very presence was this pillar of fire by night so that they could travel by day or by night. In a very real sense, I think, uh, as we move from Old Testament to New Testament, uh, God comes to ha- be housed in each one of us who have given our life to him. He, he comes to, to give us leading, to give us guidance, uh, just like uh, by this spirit, of uh, this pillar of fire, he gives us that same fire to light our way going forward. Matthew 3.11 says, <clears throat> I baptize you, this is Jesus talking with water for repentance. But after me, uh, the, actually this is John the Baptist talking, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This fire is a very real presence in us. So I ask you today, how hot do you feel? How much do you feel? How much are you letting the Holy Spirit's fire fill you and lead you and empower you? Don't be discouraged if you don't feel that or or sense that greatly because tomorrow is a new day. But we really need to think hard about what it means to quench the fire. Because I don't think any of us would consciously say, I don't want God's presence. I don't want God's blessings. I don't want God's benefits. All of us want to have this kind uh, of spiritual experience. But it's not for the faint of heart. Hebrews twelve twenty nine says, Our God is a consuming fire. That is. He wants to to take over and and inhabit every area of our being, every relationship that we experience. But trust me, I I hope you will trust me, that God has a plan and a purpose for you that will bring great pleasure, great benefit, great blessing to your life. And the way he gives us that experience is by having the Holy Spirit come in us. Now, that process begins before we ever become a Christian. Before we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit works to convict us. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. Uh, But there's this process that we always see from a person becoming selfish and worldly to a person becoming spirit-led, spirit-centered, God-centered, God-led. And the process goes like this. It is conviction of sin... That is, a conviction that maybe our choices are not pleasing God. Whether we are choosing not to do the things God wants us to do, or we're choosing to do things that God doesn't want us to do. Either sins by uh, omission or commission. We, as the Spirit works on us, we begin to be convicted of that. And it's funny how that conviction works. It not only changes our mind, but it also, it changes, it moves us emotionally. It moves us in a powerful way. Conviction of sin, then you see confession. As we understand that sin, then we are moved to confess it before God. And then there's repentance. Not only a change of mind, but a change of behavior, a change of action. And then revival comes. So for a person who's never become a Christian, this is how it starts. 
Maybe you remember back to your uh, days uh, before Christ. That this process happened in you and it was enabled by the Holy Spirit. First the Spirit working on you to convict and then the Spirit leading you through this process. But even more, this process continues, I think, because we are human even after we become Christians. We will sometimes wander. We will sometimes give in to temptation. The Holy Spirit continues to work in us even after you've become a Christian in this same process. As you spend time with the Lord, as you meditate with the Lord, you're convicted of your sin. You confess it. You repent. Uh, you have revival. You walk in effectiveness, in power. This process is what is stopped. This process is what is negatively affected when we, uh, by different means, quench the spirit in our lives. That is, we, we, we keep away this process of renewal and revival that God wants to bring in us, both for the first time and over and over in our lives, we quench that, we extinguish that, we put that out. There are several ways, I think, that we quench the fire. Several ways the fire is quenched in our lives. Uh, one way might be bitterness. Bitterness. That is, we've had some negative experiences, and, and we don't even stop and pause sometimes how or why those were caused, those negative experiences. Uh, sometimes they were of our own doing. We took actions or took, we were inactive and certain negative things happened to us and we became bitter, both toward other people and perhaps toward God. But more difficult, there are sometimes experiences that, that, that experiences happen to us where uh, we don't really see a cause. In fact, it seems for no good reason. And again, we become bitter toward other people or toward God. And we allow the spirit to be quenched within us. <clears throat> Friends, I can say to you, I, I feel your pain. I feel your, your under, uh, confusion. I feel your lack of understanding in those areas where negative things happen to you, often when you can't see a result or a cause. Uh, but I say to you, bitterness is not the answer. Quenching the spirit is not the answer. But that is one way it's quenched. Secondly, I think the spirit can be quenched by complacency, by complacency. That is, our priorities are uh, about other things. Maybe our priorities are about uh, another relationship comes before our relationship with God, our experience with God. Maybe it is uh, our material possessions or our desire to further our career. Maybe we just get bored. Whatever the case, we can become complacent and, and say to the spirit, hey, you, you just calm down back there. We, we don't want that fire today. We, we got other things we got going on. Another way that that's going to lead you to a place I think that you don't want to be is to become complacent and quench the spirit. But perhaps the most primary way we quench the spirit is what I call saying no to his will. Saying no to his will. You see, I think the way we know the spirit or the will of God is by the illumination of the spirit. The, the Holy Spirit working within us helps us to determine and discern the will of God for our lives. His personal will. Jeremiah says he has a plan and purpose for each of us. 
Uh, how do we determine that will? I think the Spirit's leading, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, the Spirit's leading helps us to figure out, to determine His own unique will for our lives. Well, we have a choice to say yes or no to that will as we figure it out. And saying no to His will is perhaps the, the most crucial way that we quench the Spirit. Uh, to look at that, to think about that today, I, I want us to look way back in the Old Testament to Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, you find the Israelites. They've been set free by miraculous means from uh, many years of slavery in Egypt. And God has supernaturally worked through Moses to, to bring plagues in the, to the Egyptian people that they might let the people go. And, and then he parted the waters of the Red Sea so the the Israelites could escape and uh, elude their pursuers. You might think with all of that that they might be ready for their entrance into the promised land. They might be ready for the return to the land, uh, the promised land of milk and honey. But they were human like us. And so Deuteronomy chapter 1, as you get to about uh, verse 19, you see the people they are assembled, they're right, they can see across the river into the promised land. And, and God says to them, I want you to go into the land. I want you to go take that land. And two important things. He says, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. And they, instead of going right away and trusting God at his word, they come up with a plan. They say, we're going to make, we're going to pick out ten spies and we're going to send them in to spy out the land, to see what's, what, we're, what we're up for over there. Because they know the people of those lands aren't going to just say, oh, okay, you, you say it's yours, we'll leave. That wasn't going to happen. They, they would have to fight for the land. So they send these 10 spies in. The spies come back and tell them, it's beautiful land, but there's some scary people over there. And so they lose their heart, they say no to God's will. And we pick it up in verse 26, God talking to the Israelites, but you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled, which is the heart of any sin. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us up out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. What's their problem? It's fear, isn't it? It's a lack of trust. Fear and a lack of trust. Isn't that what also often causes us uh, to not follow the will of God in our lives? Isn't that what so often causes us uh, to travel a road that leads to negative consequences? They continued, where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then remember God talking to them. I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who's going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you. As a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. In other words, he said, I got you. Just like I had you bringing you out of Egypt, I got you. 
In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God. You went ahead of, uh, who went ahead of you in your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. He says, I've always been with you. You you were able to see me at night in this pillar of fire. You're able to see me by day in this cloud. I've led you this far. Very easily, chapter 1 could have been a lot shorter. He said, go take the land, I'll fight for you, and they go in and take it. But no, they say no. Because of fear, because of a lack of trust, they quench the spirit. And what happens? Well, you might know for 40 years, because God was so disheartened by their lack of trust, by their rebellion, for 40 years, they had to continue to wander all through the Sinai Desert. Only two people, Caleb and Joseph of that generation, uh, excuse me, Caleb and Joshua, only those two were able to go in and actually live in the land. The rest of them, including Moses, never made it into the promised land. Now, interestingly, it says the children, those who aren't able to know right from wrong, they'll be able to go into this land as well. But all of you who are old enough to know better, all of you will not experience the blessings of this new land. Let's think about that in relation to our lives. And maybe it's hard for you to think about, but I guarantee you as you look back in your life, whenever you quenched the Spirit and and said no, you, you had a sense that God wanted you to do this job, or God wanted you to to befriend this person or reconcile with this person. Every time we've said no, you think, how's that worked out for us? Not so good. Not so good. Too often it takes the losing of a a spouse, of a relationship, of our family, before our sin is known by us. Too often it takes years of not being effective in serving the Lord for us to realize it. Too often it takes years before we realize what God made us to do, we should have been doing all along, yet we said no for other reasons, maybe material reasons or prestige reasons. See, I want to leave you Not thinking about that negativity, though you must consider your life in how you followed the will of God and how you've let the fire of the Spirit lead you. But I want to end by talking about some benefits of following the fire. Benefits of following the fire. The first I call riding with the wind. Riding with the wind. You know, if you take a a flight and you go from here, say, to, to San Francisco or to Los Angeles, and then you take the return flight. Which flight is going to take you less time? The time coming back from California to here. Why? Because the prevailing winds, most times, the winds flow from west to east. And you go out into that wind, it takes you longer because you're fighting the wind uh, and your flight takes longer 
Likewise, when you're coming back, you're riding with the wind. I'll tell you this, I've been walking to and from the church most days. I park here at night and I walk home and then I walk back in the morning as part of my getting, getting fit plan. And I'll tell you, I wish we lived the other direction, the same distance. Because walking home at night, I'm walking both west and south. I tend to, especially in the summertime, I'm going into the wind. I sure like the morning walk a lot better than the evening walk. Who, who of us prefers to ride or walk or run into the wind? No. You see, God has, he made you uniquely and he has for a plan and a purpose for you. And he wants you to have his spirit to ride with the wind, to push you forward. Second benefit is feeling God's pleasure. It's feeling God's pleasure. I think when you're in step with the Spirit, uh, you will feel His pleasure. What do I mean by that? Maybe you remember the story of Eric Liddell from the movie Chariots of Fire. He was a a fast young Scotsman who won a gold medal in the 400-meter race in the 1924 Paris Olympic Games. When he was a young boy, his sister asked him why he loved to run so much. And you probably remember this Reply. It became the motto of his whole life. I want you to listen carefully. He said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. When I run, I feel God's pleasure. He was made to run is what he's saying. He, he, that, he was, he's right in step with what God made him to do. Now, I would never say, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. In fact, I would say, I'm never going to run again unless somebody's chasing me. Or somebody's going to hurt somebody I love. But I tell you this, when I preach, I feel God's pleasure. When I counsel and help people, I feel God's pleasure. When Beth said yes, I felt God's pleasure. When my kids were born, I felt God's pleasure. Figuring out what you're made to do is what the Spirit wants to help you to do. That's why he brings the fire. For many years, Yosemite National Park in California was the scene of a spectacular evening show. Near sundown, the crowds gathered at Camp Curry, which was near a lake below a large cliff called Glacier Point. Once the sun had gone down, the rangers would build an enormous bonfire on Glacier Point up on top of this big cliff. Once darkness had fallen completely, the crowds down below would look up because they knew what was coming. Out of the night, this call would come, are you ready? And the crowds would say together, let the fire fall. And then the rangers would push the burning embers of this big fire over the cliff, creating a spectacular firefall into the lake below. One writer put it this way, high up at Glacier Point, the living embers slowly began to fall and continued to to become a blazing stream of red and gold swaying in the wind while sparks fly off like stars. The stream goes smaller and smaller until it becomes a mere thread of gold drawing the curtain of night and darkness descends. 
I like to think of a lifetime that way. As we let his spirit fall and flow through us, instead of quenching the spirit, we feed the spirit, we feed the fire. Then we create in a dark world these spectacular embers of ministry and love and service until we go to be with him who made us. What's the Spirit trying to tell you today? Are you ready? Just like the folks in the desert, God wanted to bless them with this land of milk and honey, the promised land, yet they let their fear and their lack of trust keep them from experiencing God's pleasure. If you want to experience his pleasure, you got to feed the fire. Father, as we think about these things, I pray today that you brought conviction. There are some things I'm sure we need to change. I hope you've not brought condemnation. Yes, we probably thought about mistakes we've made where we've let our fear or lack of trust lead us to say no to your will. And we regret that. But we can't change yesterday. You don't expect us to. That's why you will forgive us if we confess and repent of our sin. Because you are faithful and just. And if we will get out of the way and let your spirit lead us, fill us, fire us, you'll lead us in your ways into that unique plan and purpose you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.